You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. According to the journal Zoo Keys, a new species of water beetle has been named after actor Leonardo DiCaprio. The species is still considered a pest, but leaves you alone once you turn 25. That's right. There are plural. We know for a fact there are now at least three of you outside of our writing staff listening on a weekly basis. Thank you very much for that. That includes Daniel from Toronto, a successful lawyer who would like all you lady listeners to know he's single. Welcome back to VSP with Steve Patterson. I remain Steve Patterson. This week, our featured guest is Denise Donlin, the Canadian media icon who recently received the Walt Grealis Special Achievement Award at the Junos in Vancouver. Denise and I talked about the music industry, what today's artists in music and elsewhere should focus on, and what it was like touring with Whitesnake. Hint, it involves leather pants and weird hairspray. We also chatted about other things, which I hope you'll hear soon, on our Patreon pages, Long Listens. I'll deliver this week's audio letter about the upcoming election in Ontario, and why, depending on the outcome of it, I may have to move. Plus, we'll share a life-changing ad, and we'll get a quick word from our higher education correspondent, John Steinberg. But first, here's a few stories from around the world that we think should be made fun of. The Academy of Motion Picture Sciences kicked out Bill Cosby and Roman Polanski. Proving the old adage, fool us once, shame on us, fool us 59 times, shame on you and Roman Polanski. And by the way, we should have done this joke last week, but given the subject matter, we're not the ones who should be apologizing for the delay. Speaking of an unlikely duo, Paul Anka and Drake are collaborating on a new project together. This marks the first time I've felt both too old and too young for something. Prime Minister Trudeau toured some of the flooded areas of New Brunswick as water finally receded enough to start cleanup efforts, saying, there has been tremendous flooding and a tremendous number of people impacted, leading me to believe that Justin may have forgotten how to use negative adjectives. And finally, the BC woman who was caught on video unleashing a racist rant against three Afghani men in a Denny's in Lethbridge has been fired from her job. So in the end, she was the one served the Grand Islam breakfast. Speaking of acts of ignorant racism, you know, it's sad to see it going on in Canada in our all-night breakfast spots in Lethbridge. But in the country just to the south of us, it's actually been taking place at institutions of what is supposed to be higher learning. Recently, there were two incidents of blatant racial profiling on American college campuses. To be fair, there were probably a lot more than two, but there were two that made the news that we saw. Now, here to tell us more about them is VSP's higher education expert, John Steinberg. Hey, John. Hey, Steve. I didn't know you were an education expert. Yeah, the highest. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) No further questions. Okay. First off, a black Yale grad student was sleeping in the common room at her dorm. Another student called the cops on her. 
Now, technically, you're not supposed to sleep in common areas of dorms, but who hasn't done that? I used to do it all the time, and I never even went to college. Now, that is a, a story that I would like to explore in a different segment when we have time for it, but essentially... This black student had the police called on her because a white student didn't think she could possibly belong at Yale. Is that correct? Yeah, which is weird because none of the white people I know look like they belong at Yale either. You know what? Good good point. We, I think we hang out with similar crowds. Uh, I understand there was a similar incident at Colorado State University. Yeah, they were doing a campus tour and two Mohawk teens were late to join the group. One of the other moms thought they didn't belong there. So she called the police and said that they were making her nervous. I mean, I understand what it's like to feel nervous. I'm a severely paranoid pothead. A lot of things make me nervous. But one thing I'll never do is call the cops. Because cops are one of the things that make me nervous. Fair enough, all right. Other things that make me nervous include wild animals, domesticated animals, loud noises, quiet noises, Large groups of people, small groups of people, being alone, going to college. Okay, John, I, I unfortunately don't think we have time for you to list all your phobias right now. But I guess the real question is, how do we stop this discrimination against people of color on college campuses when people are calling the police on them just for being there? I think a couple of minor changes to the SATs could help. Oh, is now those the, the scholastic aptitude tests, is that right? No, the thing they make them do before they allow them into college. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the same. You don't even have to add any new questions. Just have the last page be a photo of a black doctor. And if you can look at it without your head exploding, you can go to college. <laughs> or maybe if you're that ignorant, just don't go to college. We don't need smarter racists. You know what? Very good point. You are our higher education expert. Thank you for doing this, John, and I, I hope this segment didn't make you too nervous. They all do. John Steinberg, everybody. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. If you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably wondering when someone will try and sell you underwear. Well, guess what? It's happening because you need podcast undies. Do you never even think about buying new underwear till your special someone whispers, if you ever want to see me naked again, then you will buy new underwear. But you can't because they've thrown out all your shitty underwear, so you don't even have underwear to put on to go buy new underwear. Then you need podcast undies, delivered directly to you by a postal worker who will totally know you're not wearing underwear because you answered the door naked. Podcast undies are made with a special micro modal fabric. In fact, our modals are so micro, it'll make everything inside your underwear look macro. When you wear podcast undies, your special someone will look at you and say, something's different. Did you lose weight? And you'll say, it's over. I'm dating a postal worker now. And they'll say, fine. At least someone in this house will finally get a decent sized package delivered. Podcast undies. It's time for a change. And now, Steve Patterson reads a letter he wrote, but didn't know where to send. Dear Ontario voters, with the provincial election less than a month away, it's time to take a serious look at our three main candidates and stop just asking, are these seriously our three main candidates? Yes, they are. Now, make your choice. It's either the liberal incumbent Kathleen Wynne, who, if advanced polls are any indication, and often they're not, has approval ratings so low, I'm not even sure she's going to vote for herself. 
or the NDP under the leadership of Andrea Horwath, who seems to have good intentions, but suffers from the fact that wealthy business people generally don't like the NDP. And apparently, there are quite a few of those people in this province. Or, and I wish I was joking here, the Progressive Conservative Party under the leadership of Doug Ford, who couldn't be more of a Donald Trump clone if he promised to build a wall at the provincial border to keep out those dirty, illegal Manitobans. Might as well see where they stand on a couple main issues so we can all figure out if we want to live here for the next few years come June 8th, right? Okay. Issue number one, taxes. Wins liberals say they'll ditch the provincial surtax, which was a tax on taxes they've been charging rich people, and will hike the tax on cigarettes. Now this might mean something to you if you're rich or smoke. Neither apply to me. Horwath's NDP says they'll increase the corporate tax by 1.5% and personal income tax for people making more than $300,000 by 2%. And this is why wealthy business people typically don't like the NDP. Though I'd encourage those people to take a look at what she plans to do with that tax money, rather than just hearing tax increase, then pretending you can't hear anything else she says because your ears are full of money. And Doug Ford's progressive conservatives not surprisingly vowed to shrink corporate taxes and also reduce the minimum wage for workers. But he also generously offered to eliminate income tax for anyone earning less than $28,000 a year. Which is great, because the only way an adult in this province can earn that and still have any disposable income left is if you live in a tent in a public park and eat only what the birds eat. And issue number two, marijuana. Sure, this shouldn't be an election issue, but with legalization coming into play a few weeks after this election, it absolutely is. Andrea Horwath hasn't said much, other than that prime agricultural land must be preserved from being overrun by marijuana growing operations. And she's got a pretty solid point there. The only thing worse than The Walking Dead would be The Walking Dead with the marijuana munchies, not realizing they'd replaced all the fields full of stuff to munch on with more marijuana. Kathleen Wynne has been fully supportive of the proposed Ontario Cannabis Retail Corporation, partly because it's projected to produce a net income of $100 million in its first year of operation, and mostly because, come June 8th, she might have a lot of time on her hands to just chill out. And finally, Doug Ford said of marijuana legalization he, quote, doesn't believe in the government sticking their hands in our lives all the time. Which seems more like the words of a man in his early 20s selling a bag of weed to someone in their mid-teens from the driver's seat of his brand new Chrysler LeBaron than someone running for leadership of that same meddling government. So there you have it. The three major party leaders with their thoughts on two major issues heading into the Ontario election on June 7th. It's up to us to decide. But if a lot of you vote for one of these guys, I'm getting out of here before that wall is built between me and the soon-to-be home of the Stanley Cup in beautiful, friendly Manitoba. Yours truly, Steve Patterson. Alright, time for this week's guest. She's a music trailblazer, an author, a fierce supporter of Canadian artists, and a champion of socially just causes. She's a feminist and was a feminist before it was cool, and is a recipient of many distinguished honors including Woman of the Year, Broadcast Executive of the Year, 
the Order of Canada, and now the Walt Grealis Award, which she was just about to receive when I sat down with her. Here she is, Denise Donlin. Thank you for that introduction. Goodness. It's My all head true. won't fit in the studio anymore. I have no idea what you're going to get out of this, but thank you so much for, for this. I know what we're going to get Just out. Just the pleasure of your company, Steve. That's it. It's all good. What mood are you mm-hmm. in right now? I'm in a good mood. A little little bit of a cold, you might hear it. But yeah, in a good mood. This The award's pretty exciting. A little head spinning, I have to say. Um, how, how does it feel getting that award? It feels It feels wonderful, to be honest, to be recognized really by your peers for a body of work and uh, only the second woman to get it. So hopefully the floodgates will open and more women will be applauded as we go. Now, how does it rank for you? Because you've won so many different things, including the Order of Canada, named to the Order of Canada, Executive of the Year. Where's this one fit? Is it... it, uh Closer to your heart because of all your music experience? Given it's the music industry. I mean, the the Order of Canada really is the one, right? I mean, when you go to Rideau Hall, surrounded by all those unbelievable people. I mean, half the time you're going, well, they must have made a mistake. What the hell am I doing here? But I guarantee you'll never sing O Canada with more button-busting pride that at Rideau Hall. It really is a wonderful award. But so is the Walt Grealis Award. I'm pretty excited, I have to say. We're talking about experience, and and you do go way back, and that's, of course, everyone in the world should have your book, Fearless as Possible, Under the Circumstances. If you don't, I don't believe in you as a Canadian. But (laughs) how important do you think it is for entertainment executives to have hands-on experience? Because that's not always the case these days, I don't think. I'm talking from a comedy perspective, but mm. from a music perspective, working with the artists, representing them, doing their publicity. How important do you think that is to be on the executive side? Well, I think the more knowledge, the better, no matter how, you know, what position you're in. I mean, for me, uh, you try and support great art. In Canada, of course, you know, we Canada's an arts nation. We totally punch above our weight when it comes to music, when it comes to authors, when it comes to comics, you know, film directors, etc. So having a working system where people understand each other and know what it means to put your artist of whatever stripe in a comfortable position where they can hit it out of the park, where they can do their best work, I think is important in terms of the longevity of careers overall. So the more you know, uh, the better you can be. I really want to hug you right now because that's pretty much the perfect answer. And I wish, I, I don't think I'll ever, I don't know that I'll ever hear it from a, a comedy executive. personal history together in uh, in our overlapping time at CBC, you had come out to a show that I did, which wasn't even The Debaters, which is the show that I do now, but we did a year-end show uh, in a little studio in CBC, and we were just trying something new, a year-end review, and it was a lot of fun, very loose, brought my own music, and you came up to me after and introduced yourself and literally did uh, the Wayne's World We're Not Worthy, and I'm like, oh my God, this is the <laughs> coolest and most supportive executive I've ever met. And of course, not knowing all the history. And of course, that's just you. That's you coming through in your position. I mean, maybe in music, there's more people like that that let their true selves through. But do you think that in business in general, there's a problem with people, you know, having their public persona, and it's not really them? Hmm. I think authenticity is what we all have to strive for, you know, regardless of of if we're in powerful positions, or we're just regular people. I mean, to be walking around trying to pretend you're something that 
you're not is an uncomfortable situation to be in. And it takes a lot of energy to maintain a fiction. Right? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Unless you're biting your tongue and it'll make you sick. So at the end of the day, I mean, to be human is to share empathy and to share experiences and to, to see each other. So when you look at any kind of business purely as a nuts and bolts, numbers on a page, P&L sheet, particularly if you're in the artistic entertainment endeavors, I think you rob yourself and the person of what it really means to be an artist. So you kind of do have to have a foot in two canoes. You have to really understand, I, I would hope, what it means to be a great artist, and then also be able to bring all the tools in your kit to support them so that they can be the best they can be. I mean, for me, it's always been a bit of a struggle because, you know, I can read a PNL. I can't say it's the first thing I reach for my nighttime reading material when I'm going to bed. <laughs> it might put you to sleep quicker. <laughs> unless it was alarming. And I love the business side of it as well. But my great blessing has been able, being able to uh, have worked with, you know, fantastic artists. In incredible. It's such a blessing. So you don't want to screw that up by not being as supportive as you can be. And PNL sheets. You know what that is, Alex, for some of our listeners that don't know? Production and labor? No. Nope. Close. Parts and labor? <laughs> <laughs> Profits and loss. Profits and losses. Yeah. I was I only figured it out as you were saying it, but I was like the, <laughs> I just had to nod my head. Oh yeah, those PNL sheets. But uh, what would you say to people that are out there? You rose to the very top of things and yet Things didn't come to you a traditional way. You worked for it, you know, and got headhunted for these various positions. But, mm -hmm. you know, do you think that we still live in a world where you should try to do things the traditional way? <laughs> or or do you just kind of follow your follow your guts? And, uh, and Well, I think, first care? of all, you have to take advantage of an opportunity if it's offered, right? And you'll know whether or not it's right for you. Or even if you don't, you'll learn something along the way. So I'll answer that in two ways, one of which is, I would never understood the whole fake it till you make it thing because right. I think it's more 90, you know, the Edison quote, 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. And I also think that, you know, as a woman who was working in very non-traditional male dominated industries, that I always felt a little bit like that Ginger Rogers quote, you know, that she did everything Fred Astaire did, but she did it backwards and in high, high heels. heels. Yeah. It's what I almost call the book, Backwards in and high heels, but I'm six foot one, so I never wear heels. <laughs> I told Alex as a little aside, he said, oh, I hope she's not wearing heels because the, the driveway's slippery. And I said, if Denise is wearing heels, she's going to hit her head on the ceiling of our small studio here. I actually thought for a minute when I first walked into CBC as the executive director of CBC Radio, I thought, because I, like you, had tried to do a couple of show ideas that were right. rejected. Mm -hmm. uh, and suddenly now I was the manager. And I thought, I sh what should I wear on that first day? And I thought, I should custom build a pair of Birkenstocks with four-inch stilettos on the back. That would kind of bridge both worlds. <laughs> Except there's a, I would never have been able to walk in those. CBC Burks. <laughs> they would get snapped up, though. They really would. They in, probably would. In the gift store. <laughs> Let's lighten it up a little bit. Uh, touring with White Snake. Okay, probably the slided in tour. <laughs> it was literally called the slided in tour. <laughs> yes, it was called the slided in tour. White Snake was not good on the double entendres. They no. always went right for the single entendres. <laughs> yeah, that's not even. I don't know if you can finish entendre there. Let's just uh, let's just come out and that's like a caveman picking up a woman with a club right Man, there. Man, that was hilarious. So I, that chapter is called the feminist compromise. Yes, <laughs> and. Um, 
I mean, it was hilarious. You know, not only was it called the Slided In Tour, but when I showed up backstage in, in Germany to go pick up the passes, the laminates for the headpins, I was touring with the headpins as support act at the time. Uh, the tour manager, who who's Jimmy, uh, was standing there, and he's like a lanky guy in, a, in his leathers and his, his long hair, and he's smoking a cigarette. And I said, oh, I'm here, I'm with the headpins, and uh, I'd like to pick up our passes. So he hands me this backstage pass, this, the White Snake slided in tour of Europe 84 pass, and I'm looking at the picture, and it's sort of a stylized, very red, glossy woman's mouth with what looks like, well, I don't even know what it is. Is it a banana she's got in her mouth? Is it a white snake? I wasn't really sure. But I sort of stared at it and I looked at him and I said, I'm not wearing that pass. That objectifies women. And Jimmy just looked straight at me and he sort of like hauled in his smoke and he said, well, guess you're not getting backstage then, are you, darling? Right? <laughs> Like, oh, for God's sake. You gotta give me, give me that thing. Pass, try to I hide know. it as best you can. I, try, yeah. I, I know I stuck it on the inside of my jacket because, you know, I was such a strident feminist at the time. Uh, but yeah, the White Snake tour was, was amazing. It really was amazing. I mean, it was, you know, pyro <laughs> and leathers and hair and, ah, oh, it did was you, awesome. In that era, did you ever get jealous of the men's hairs that you were uh, interviewing? Because there much. was a lot of real, like, I watched some, some footage and, like, Denise has got lovely hair here, but man, <laughs> Gowan. Are you kidding me? Gowan, that, he should have had his own shampoo line that David night. Coverdale. They were all, you know, yes, because, you know, Barry Manilow had a great quote. And he always, uh, he said, I didn't know. I thought I was ugly until I discovered the blow dryer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough to date somebody who's more proficient with a blow dryer than you are. It's really hard. They're like, can I borrow your product? Was there was there like a lineup in the White Snake tour, like just before showtime? Did they have totally. their own blow dryers? I'm full of questions. I, I think was they it a BYOB? Had, to, oh, they all had their own blow dryers, yeah. and oh, because their hair was magnificent, right. it was huge and lush. I think they really should have handed out, you know, gas masks right. or as part of the tour uh, accoutrements, just to be. Yeah, it was a. And the challenge was with all that hairspray and all that leather, which. Let's be honest. Sometimes it was naga hide. It wasn't always right. leather. Right. And then a pleather. Yeah. And all the pyro going off on stage, that was just an accident waiting to happen. Sure. Totally. Yeah. Just open flame. Open flames. With hairspray and, yep. and treated leather. Yeah. So in many ways, it's amazing that you survived, you survived that. And how long was that tour? How long were you on the road? It wasn't that long. It was only, I think it was about four weeks at the end of the day. But it felt like a long time. I love that you peel back, maybe that's not the right choice of words, but uh, that that you also talk about life on the road not being as glamorous as people would think. I mean, there's the time on stage, there's the show time, obviously, but you got to get to that show. You're in a closed quarters mm -hmm. with each other. You don't, I mean... Smelly, it, flatulent, laden, yeah. you know... They don't talk about buses. that side of White no. Snake. There's not a lot of room in those no. pants for farts. And I think that White Snake had their big... Uh, you know, tour buses. Um, we were the, we were the opening act, the Headpins. So right. we, we had a little van that we were touring about in, and White Snake would have had their own wardrobe people, laundry people. I was occasionally, you know, sewing Too Loud McLeod's pleather leather pants because he'd had a wardrobe malfunction on stage. And then, you know, for us, laundry was the big deal. Like, where were we going to find four hours in the middle of a tour to go into 
the local fluff and fold in Dusseldorf, right? <laughs> because there's something very <laughs> and make sure that fluff and fold means the same thing in German. It's, 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 yeah. Well, it was was that kind of a tour. <laughs> great to hear from you because you really, I can speak from my own personal experience, but I know how many different people you've helped and, and you've obviously had champions along the way and you've become a champion to other people. What do you say to young artists out there who might need that champion, but aren't quite sure how to find them? I mean, you can, you can make music uh, much more inexpensively now. You can put it up out there, but you still need that big machine and people around you to be able to take it to the next level and the widest possible audience. And I think what sometimes the, where the mistake is, is that because young artists are already, you know, trying so hard with all the new tools to get their stuff out there, their, their product, their music out there, that it takes away from the time they have to spend actually honing their work. So I would rather um, an artist spend their 10,000 hours working on their music, their songwriting, their, their performance, than having to spend those 999 of those hours, you know, marketing and distributing and, and, uh, and social media their head off. Because if you make great work, you will be found. And then people will come and help. Alex, because they if want Alex to was nodding any more emphatically, his beard would be causing a fire with his chest hair. I feel like I say the same thing all the time. You know, when I work in this industry or any industry, 10,000 hour rule is really important. How can an artist make 10,000 hours being an artist if they're doing social media, if they're doing P&Ls, if they're doing, you know what I mean? Like, Don't try to act like you knew what that meant even before well, earlier. Yeah, it's just so much work. So, hallelujah, there's new tools, but focus on the art first great answer i mean i don't have to tell you when you're answering it correctly but thank you for <laughs> thank you for saying that one thing that it's very important to us to do on this show in lieu of uh being able to pay a large promotional <laughs> and appearance fees is uh is to uh there's a check th nope not, oh, not for sorry. you, oh, okay. but it will have your name on it. We're okay. going to, uh, we want to be able to support a lot of the worthy charitable causes of our guests. And for you, one of those very worthy charitable causes that you've witnessed and experienced firsthand is War Child Canada. So mm. we will be making a donation on your Thank behalf. You. Could you tell us a little bit about War Child? There's a chapter in your book on it, which yeah. is which is very enlightening and, and terrifying. In right. A way. I wrote, in the book I wrote about going to Sierra Leone, it was in May of 2000. And that was the year what the UN had just declared Sierra Leone the absolute worst place in the world to live. Yeah. Canada, by contrast, was number one. And it was a time of, you know, people didn't even know what a blood diamond was, but there was, you know, 1.6 million people displaced and oh, they're amputations, right? Because the gangster warlords who were after the diamonds were cutting people's arms and ears and legs and babies. It was unbelievably vicious and horrible. And I went with Dr. Samantha Nutt, who and they're, the, is, they're um, the founders. They're the founders. Yes. And Sam and, and Eric Hoskins, now your health minister, provincially. Oh, I didn't even right. put that together. Um, so so right. we went in with, uh, with Lloyd Axworthy. It's, it was a long and harrowing story for all kinds of reasons. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing there. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, shouldn't I have been cutting a Madonna special, for heaven's sakes? Right, right? Right. And then Sam was on her, on her, you know, she would drop down to try and help a, a sick mom or a baby or, or whatever. So she was not only a human rights activist, she was also a doctor and she could rely on those skills. For me, 
yeah, it was frightening. And many of those countries that you go to are frightening. I mean, you find your courage simply through the bravery and the courage of the people you meet who have been through unspeakable atrocities. And yet all they still, they just, they want to go to school, the kids. That's what they want to do. Um, things that we take for granted. Absolutely. So War Child Canada, we'll make sure we get a, a link up so people can donate directly to that cause and support all the causes that they can. Thank you very, very much, Denise. Will you come join us again down the oh, road? I would we get love this going. to. That was lots of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very supportive. Very simple. I'm doing air quotes. Simple, simple person. <laughs> Denise Donlin. <laughs> And that's it. Our third episode of VSP is in the podcast books, even though it's not actually a book, it's a saying. Anyway, thanks again to our guest, Denise Donlin, and don't forget to support the life-saving work of her charity of choice, War Child Canada. Be sure to listen to our fourth episode next Wednesday, when we'll be talking to Tarek Haddad of Peace by Chocolate. He's a Syrian refugee who immigrated to Antigonish, Nova Scotia, where he helped rebuild his family's chocolate company after it was bombed during the war in Damascus. This is something we're pretty sure you won't hear on another Comedian's Podcast. Follow us on VSP Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and check us out on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Until next week, I'm Steve Patterson, and you are probably someone else. VSP is a Funny Patty Inc. and Never Sleeps Network production. Produced by me, Alex Ross, and associate producer Diana Francis. Written by Steve Patterson with Diana Francis, John Steinberg, and Jennifer McAuliffe. Edited by Joseph Vianney. For more information about VSP and other great Canadian podcasts, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. And please, follow our socials at VSP Pod and Never Sleeps Net. See you next Wednesday. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 